So we're continuing with our, our, uh, our new sermon series that we started last week called Old Testament Times. And if you've got your bulletin, kind of open it up for me like you're reading a newspaper. Pretend that you just got your morning news and uh, you subscribe to the Register and as well as to the Old Testament Times. So our headline uh, reads, Joseph's dream coat deepens daddy issues. Wow. And as Laura read our scripture for us uh, today, uh, there's quite a bit going on in this story. There's a lot more going on here than just meets the eye. And so we're looking at these stories as if you're reading Sunday's newspaper. And it just happened yesterday, the Old Testament times. And I think what we're discovering and what I, what I really, my hope and my prayer is for all of us as we read along with these Old Testament stories is that, um, that hopefully what we're discovering is that God, what God was doing in the lives of those people is very, very similar to the things that he is capable of doing and is doing in the lives of people thousands of years later, including us. The Old Testament is not the Old Testament because it's old and irrelevant. It's old just because it happened a long time ago, but it's the same God that's in those stories that is in your story today. And I shared a little bit with you about this desire uh, last week, but I was, I was just praying and thinking this week. I do a lot of praying and thinking. Prinking. I just prink, prink, prink. A lot of praying and thinking. Um, I was prinking this week. And um, I, I just felt like, like we need to be reminded that the ultimate hero, the ultimate hero in all these Old Testament stories we're reading is not necessarily the character that we read about in Sunday school. It's not necessarily just that typical hero of the Bible story, but ultimately... We're supposed to ask in these stories, ultimately, who is God? What is God up to in that story? What about God can I learn through the story of this character? I I was reminded this week that that not only is God the author of these stories, we believe that God is the author of that Bible that you hold in your hands this morning, but God is also the hero of these stories, right? He enters into the stories. All these stories are reading. It's not like just the hero does this and then they do that and then they do that. Everything they're able to do is because of the power of God working through them. So he's the main character. He's the hero. He's the star. God is the star of these stories. And he's way more, way more popular and famous than, than the, the winner of American Idol or the, the, the champion of the NBA Finals or some famous music star. At the end of the day, it's always going to be God's name that is lifted up and that's in lights. And the whole universe, Scripture says, reflects his glory. And if the whole universe reflects his glory, then of course these stories are going to reflect his glory as well. These stories tell us about who God is and in turn they tell us who we are. Because when you think about it, the most important thing, and I, and I hope that you're reading these stories during the week, every, every week on the bulletin, not on the back, but on your bulletin uh, this week, there's Bible readings. And I hope that you're doing that. I hope that you come to Sunday morning with your Bible tattered and torn because you've been using it so much. But I hope that what we see is that as, as we're reading these things, the most important thing that we could discover is God's character. Not just a little silly lesson to learn or or something funny. And yeah, there's funny parts to these stories. But ultimately, we want to see what God's character is like. Because the more we know God, the more we can worship him for who he is. And the more glory that he receives. And that's why God exists. That's why we read the scripture. Ultimately, to give glory to God. Not just to say, yeah, I got through my reading for the week. Or yeah, I memorized this many verses. It's ultimately so that our lives can give God glory. When we meet God, when we encounter him, we are changed in the process.
And so spending some time uh, in scripture this week, I was just struck by this verse. Uh, I think it's going to be up on the screen there for you. Jeremiah 9, 24. Um, I was just struck by this. I know I've read it before, but it just grabbed me this week. Jeremiah 9, 24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord and demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isn't that just an incredible verse? If you, if you, if you read that verse and you don't get jazzed up, slap yourself around a little bit something. I don't know, but that gets me excited. It's ultimately about God's glory. And the more we know him, the more that we can give him glory. And so beyond anything else that we could boast in, beyond anything that, that you find yourself boasting in, whether that's how much resources you have or how much money you have or what your house looks like or what your job is or, or maybe how good of a Christian you think you are, how many Bible studies you're involved with, how often you come to church, we're not called to boast in those things. We're called, that verse says, to boast in one thing alone, and that's that we know God. So I pray that you would boast in him today. And so as we read through this story of Joseph today, let's boast in who God is interweaving in this story. And so we're kind of going with this Old Testament times feel and sort of give us, help us understand kind of a, a throwback old school mentality. Do you remember those old school kind of newsreels and they would kind of have the crackly things in them and they're black and white? This is before VHS, right? Some of you are maybe wondering what VHS is. This is before VHS. Um, and, and I, I want to show you this little newsreel. It's, I'm going to give you a little clue. It's not hundred percent accurate, but I think it's going to give you a little background to the story. So let's roll that newsreel about Joseph. Joseph's dream coat deepens daddy issues. Once again, we are drawn to a family in Canaan. For the favor of a father, imparted through a robe, has sown the seeds of jealousy in Israel's sons. For the favored son Joseph revealed through his dreams that he would one day reign over the brothers he now served. But as one might expect, this did not sit well with Joseph's brothers. For when Joseph was sent by his father to check the flocks that they tended, the seeds of jealousy once sown had grown into a desire to kill. And Joseph's brothers plotted to do away with him. But one brother spoke out against the shedding of blood, and as a caravan of traders approached, they seized the opportunity to profit by selling Joseph into slavery. Then, by tearing the robe once gifted to Joseph and dipping it in the blood of a slain animal, the brothers attempted to cover their actions by deceiving Israel into thinking that Joseph had died. But Israel's grief was a waste, for the story of Joseph did not end there, folks. He had been brought to Egypt, where he became the slave of Pharaoh's captain of the guard, and, in a way, was now closer to the dreams he once had. Yeah, so there you go. Is it just me, or does Joseph look a lot like Dwight Eisenhower? I don't... <laughs> Scary. Okay, turn with me to Genesis 37. We're going to dig into this for a little while. Genesis chapter 37, if you're not already there. Uh, now, although our reading was from chapter 37, this is a 13-chapter story. Usually, uh, Old Testament characters in the Bible, some people in the New Testament, they get like one or two lines about their life, right? That's all we have in history about them. Joseph's story takes 13 chapters, which means it's really, really important. <laughs> but there's a lot to go through, and so we're going to kind of hop through various parts of the story. And so as we go through this story today, I believe that we can discover, we talked about God's character. 
I want you to pull out three key attributes of God's character. Number one, that God is a God of redemption. That he's capable of restoring and mending. Secondly, that God is a God with a plan. God is a God with a plan, regardless of how we feel at the time. And finally, that God is a faithful father, showing us what a real father is called to be. So as, as we go through that, this story, watch for those characteristics of God. Now, because our story, uh, where's my stuff here? Okay, because our story jumps around a little bit, there's, there's three different places where this story takes place. Our, our first story, uh, first part of this story is going to take place in Canaan. Say Canaan. Point this way and say Canaan. Canaan. Okay, so you'll, you'll understand why this will be helpful pretty soon. So, Canaan, that way. Okay, the second part of our story is going to take place in Shechem. Say Shechem. Say Shechem and point right here. Shechem. Okay, so this is going to be Shechem. You can let me know if this falls down. So Shechem is right here. There, can you see that? There you go. Just pretend it's there. And finally, the last part of our story takes place in Egypt. Say Egypt. Say Egypt is spelled wrong. Okay. Point this way and say Egypt. Egypt. Okay, this is really going to be helpful. This is, this is like better than Google Maps. So here we go. Everybody see that? Okay. Just use your imagination. It's over there. Okay. Okay, so we've got Canaan. Say Canaan. We got Shechem, say Shechem. We got Egypt, say Egypt. Okay, Egypt is over there. All right, so now, take a deep breath. Here we go. Uh, Back and forth between three different locations. So just pretend that this isn't really attached, but I'm going to go over here. Our story starts in Canaan. Hello, Canaan people. Wow, Canaan people, they're not very excited to be here. Uh, So as you heard in the video, our story begins in Canaan with the father Jacob and his sons, and we've talked about this, and Joseph is his favorite. And this is not Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat musical either, which uh, it doesn't sit that well uh, with his brothers, so that map map can help you a little bit too. So uh, it doesn't sit so well with his brothers. Look at verse 4 with me. Everybody can look at verse 4, chapter 37. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So we have a father showing favoritism, and we have a handful of angry, jealous brothers. Isn't it too bad that the family dynamics of the Bible are nothing like real life? I'm sure none of you have ever experienced anything like that before, right? So some of you might be saying, yeah, I've been there. Maybe not exactly with brothers, but maybe with sisters, or maybe brokenness in your family relationship. Maybe for some of you, there's, there's still some broken relationships in your family right now. And Joseph's story may be very, very important for you. So, with this already existing jealousy, what would you not want to do if you're Joseph? If your brothers are jealous, what would you not want to do? Brag or probably egg them on, right? Well, that's exactly what Joseph does. And not maybe intentionally, but Joseph has a few dreams and in which his brothers are said to one day kneel down and worship him. Not exactly the most logical decision by Joseph, right? If you're trying to get on your brother's good side. And so one day, Joseph's father, Jacob, sends him to Shechem. Say Shechem. So here we are in Shechem. And so the story continues from Joseph travels from Canaan to Shechem. And Joseph is sent from Canaan 
uh, where his brothers are sent out uh, with the flocks, and they're watching the flocks, and this ends up being the perfect opportunity for revenge. You see, for Joseph's brothers, this was far beyond just a coat, right? Joseph gets this brand new colored coat, like a David McCord-like Hawaiian shirt, uh, for, for himself. And of course his brothers are going to be jealous, but this is far more than just about a coat, right? There's always something underneath the surface when we're angry or when we're jealous or when we're frustrated, right? It's never just about what's at the top. Because when we don't deal, in all of our lives, when we don't deal with our anger, when we don't deal with our frustrations, when we don't deal with our stress in a healthy way, what happens? We just keep pushing it down, right? And we just kind of sweep it under the rug. Yeah, it doesn't really exist. I'm fine. But then it ends up bottlenecking and it comes out in really, really unhealthy ways. It's never just that offhand comment that your spouse makes to you, right? That sets you off. That wouldn't just set you off by itself, but because it's got all this other stuff built up that you put that thing on top and then boom, you explode, right? Maybe it's to your your son or your daughter or your spouse. It's never just that because you never dealt with it in a healthy way. So here's Joseph's brothers with this deep hatred and what do they do? Let's look at verse 23. We're still in chapter 37, verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern, which is this deep water hole. Um, Skipping on down to verse 25. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum. Oh, gum. How about that? Uh, Balm and and some other things uh, from Gilead down to Egypt. And so they're traveling down to Egypt. And so if we stop the story right there, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's been thrown into this pit. Life doesn't get a lot worse for Joseph. If you, if you just stop the story right there, you'd think, that's it. It's pretty hopeless. His life is literally in the pits. Joseph is in the pits. He's been cut off from his loving father, betrayed by his brothers, and now is being taken away to a faraway land. It would be easy for Joseph to give up. Because Joseph is saying, this isn't, you see, this isn't the way that it was supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be in Canaan with my loving father. This is kind of the agenda that I had planned out for my life. And then some reason I ended up in Shechem and now I'm in Egypt. So somehow Joseph ends up over there. You say, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. And my question for you is, what do you do when your life takes a detour? What is your normal reaction when life doesn't go ideally for you? Maybe even deeper than that, what is your common reaction in times of crisis and transition in your life? Like big time crisis and transition for Joseph. Do you, do you, do you grow bitter? Do you grow angry? Do you just shove it all down? Do you, do you let anger consume you? Uh, do you try to just fix it yourself because you're strong and you're independent and you don't need anybody else? You just try to fix it yourself so that nobody will know that you're hurting? What do we do, what do you do, when life moves from ideal to completely unideal? What do you do when your life moves from Canaan to Egypt? What is your common reaction? Well, for Joseph, what we can learn is that he always goes back to God's character. One, that God is a God of redemption. 
Two, that God is a God with a plan. And three, that God is a faithful father. Okay, 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 you're saying. I know that's what I'm supposed to say. I know that's what everybody else says. I know that that's the churchy thing to say, the Christian thing to say. But you don't know what I have to deal with, right? Maybe your story is a lot like Joseph's and you're saying, I've been down in the pit. Maybe I'm down in the pit right now. I'm nowhere close to where I thought I would be in life. I'm off in Egypt somewhere too. And maybe that's you today. And so I have to ask you, are God's promises real for you? Or are they just kind of some good things to think about, just some good uplifting ideas? Or are they real for you? Maybe here's a better way of looking at it. No matter what you're dealing with, when you reach the end of your resources, where do you turn? When you're at the end of your rope, when you reach the very end of what you're capable of producing by yourself, do you throw in the towel? Do you give up? Or do you invite in the power of God? And that's exactly what we see Joseph do time and time again. And in this story, it makes all the difference. Now, I'm just, you, some of you might just be saying, okay, I've heard this before. When life throws you lemons, make... Right. But I think this is deeper than that. Actually, I believe that it's deeper than that, and here's why. When you face times of crisis and transition in your life, like Joseph did, Instead of just saying, well, I'll make the best out of it I can. When you, when you get lemons, it's you making the lemonade. Instead, what God says, when life throws you lemons, <laughs> let me be the juicer. <laughs> let me come into the situation. Let me show you something that you could never accomplish by yourself. Sometimes we just forget about that, right? The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is living inside you today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And so Joseph does this time and time again. How do you handle crisis and transition? Well, a quick story for you. For my Uncle Mike, who kind of reminds me of Joseph in this story, here's what he does. My Uncle Mike uh, has worked for Northwest Airlines for over 25 years. And you know that they went through some financial difficulties, and so they went through some shakeup. And he kind of he not got demoted, but he got shifted around. He used to be with a bunch of Christian guys in his workplace that he loved, and the job was great, and he was making a lot of money. And then, all of a sudden, he's not. And he kind of gets demoted, and he's sitting in a cubicle all day long with people that he doesn't really, really like, and that don't respect the boss at all. He doesn't like what he's doing. It's boring. It doesn't make any sense. He doesn't like the people that he's with. And he got a pay reduction. And maybe some of you can identify with that. So here's my Uncle Mike. And he is facing a time of crisis and transition in his life. And so uh, he invites God into the situation and basically asks, okay, God, here I am at Northwest slash Delta Airlines. What would you have me do? This is a totally unideal situation. I'm not a big fan of work, but God, what would you have me do in this situation? And so out of that conversation with God comes this idea for developing relationships with the guys that are in the cubicles around him. And so he uses one of his favorite things, candy bars. And so here's what he does. One day he goes to this big surplus store in Minneapolis and he buys a bunch of candy bars and chips and drinks. And then he just kind of spreads them out across. He buys this little stand to go by uh, his uh, desk and he puts them out. He makes a little sign. And that day was the birth of Mike's Mini Mart. Say Mike's Mini Mart. 
Mike's Mini Mart. That's going to come back. We're going to come back to that. The opening of Mike's Mini Mart. Snacks and drinks for discount prices. Mike's Mini Mart. And so after some heckling from his coworkers and some pointing and some laughing, pretty soon they start to wander over to Mike's Mini Mart. And pretty soon it's a hit. And pretty soon conversations start to happen. Because when you go to Mike's Mini Mart, who are you going to talk to? Mike. And who is a follower of Jesus? Mike. And so just by, just by being who he is, where he is, inviting God to work through him, God's spirit sets up some amazing conversations for him. And pretty soon they're conversations. And pretty soon they're friendships. And pretty soon they're relationships. And pretty soon they're invitations to a small group, his men's Bible study. And pretty soon they're invitations to church. And pretty soon three of his co-workers come to faith in Jesus. Mike's mini-mart. It gets the job done. God working through Mike's mini-mart gets the job done. All because he invited God into the situation. Because Uncle Mike said, it's not about me, it's about God through me. And so as we move now to the story of Joseph in Egypt, we're going to see many crucial moments that shape Joseph's story, and we're going to call them mini-mart moments. Say mini-mart moments. Okay, so we are done with Shechem. We're not going to go back there. Now we're in Egypt. And uh, the story continues in Egypt. So if you could, with me, go to, uh, let's see, chapter 39. Moving along in the story. Chapter 39. So Joseph is sold off to slavery, and the next time we pick up the story in in chapter 39, um, Joseph has found himself as a servant in an Egyptian official's house, And he actually, we're not going to go into this, but he actually gets wrongly accused of going after the other guy's wife, and he finds himself in jail, right? Once again, moving from the ideal, I have everything I want, I'm living in this great big mansion, to the unideal. Now I'm in jail again. This is the second time Joseph's literally been in the pits. And so Joseph finds himself in jail. His woes continue. Mosev would say, okay, that's it. I got thrown in the pit once. I got beat up. My dad thinks I'm dead. I got shipped off to slavery. I get wrongly accused of being with somebody other, somebody else's wife. That's it, God. I'm done. But watch what Joseph does. And it's our first mini Mart moment. Look at verse 21. Chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. The Lord made Joseph a favorite. Notice that. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So once again... What do you do when life throws you a detour? What do you do when life throws you a curveball? When you're in a pit? When you're seemingly stuck in your life? Joseph does what Uncle Mike did. He invites God into the situation and says, Okay, here I am in this jail. God, what would you have me do? And obviously, Joseph made a really good impression on the warden. So much so that he gets put in a position of influence. Joseph says, I know this is not ideal, but God, I know that regardless of what situation I'm in, you have still called me to be a man of integrity. And so I'm going to let my servant heart speak louder than words in this situation. And once again, Joseph knew life isn't about me, but God through me. 
Jump ahead to chapter 40 with me. Maybe just turn the page. So two king's men in the king's court, a cupbearer and a baker, are thrown into prison as well. Pretty influential men for the king. But who's one of the most influential men in the jail that's waiting for them? Who's already there? Joseph is already there. And just like my uncle Mike, he just starts by engaging them in conversation. Watch what he says, verse 7, chapter 40, verse 7. This is what he says. Why are you looking so sad? (laughs) What's up? Why are you looking so downcast? And he goes on to find that they've having some really troubling dreams. Who's really good at interpreting dreams? Joseph. Once again, God sets him up. And now remember with me, Joseph, he, he goes on and he, he helps these guys interpret these dreams and he does such an excellent job that Pharaoh hears of this. These guys eventually get the word to Pharaoh. And what's Pharaoh struggling with? Dreams, right? God continues to set Joseph up because Joseph is humble and obedient and willing to be worked with. And this is where we find mini-mart moment number two. Chapter 41, verse 39. Skip ahead another page. Chapter 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Even the Pharaoh sees that God is with him. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. So basically, Joseph becomes the Pharaoh's right-hand man. And now it would be really, really easy for us to write this off and say, Oh, Joseph, he was just in the right place at the right time. Right? That's all that it was. But notice it's not Joseph's power or Joseph's ability that puts him in these positions of influence, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So once again, who's the star of the story? Who's the hero? Who had, who, who had never let Joseph down? It's the God working, orchestrating behind the scenes. And I want to ask you this question. How often do you strive for positions in life? Whether it's at work or maybe uh, a position of influence in your family or a position of authority somewhere or, or in, a, in a club or in a group. Do you catch yourself striving for things? Do you catch yourself like forcing things to happen. I think that if we learn anything, Joseph teaches us this important lesson. The most critical thing that he does throughout this entire story, he doesn't force it. He remains available to God. And maybe that's a good lesson for us as well. Joseph doesn't force himself into the positions that he wants. And so Joseph goes from the pit to in charge of the entire land. And so we would be mistaken to think that Joseph was the star. So let's go back to these three promises. First promise is that God is a God of redemption. Turn with me to chapter 45 and we're going to see how these come to fulfillment. Chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. So Joseph's been through all of this, this entire journey from Canaan to Egypt. And after all of this, he becomes ruler over the entire land. Joseph's brothers have actually come to Pharaoh. They've come to Egypt because a famine has swept over the land. And who does Pharaoh put in charge of taking care of dispersing foods for the famine? Joseph. And his brothers have come to beg for mercy, but they don't know 
who it is. This is a really good soap opera here. So verse 4 of chapter 45. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Skip ahead to verse 15. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. If you look closely at this, instead of bitterness and anger, when something goes wrong in your life, Instead of bitterness and anger, watch what Joseph does. It is obvious that God has already done a work in his heart long before his brothers ever get there. We see that Joseph not only forgives them, he doesn't even mention it hardly. He says, yeah, I know that you threw me into the pit, but that was a long time ago because I've dealt with that. And I have forgiven you in my heart. And not only have I forgiven you, Joseph blesses his brothers. The story goes on. He says, stay here in Egypt and I'm going to take care of you. When somebody hurts you, it's one thing to forgive, but reconciliation happens when you not only choose to forgive, but you choose to say, I want what's best for that person that hurt me. That's when reconciliation and redemption happens. Joseph had developed over these years, over this journey to Egypt and his time on the throne in Egypt, Joseph had developed an inner character that was worthy of his high position. And don't miss this. Scripture tells us that to those whom much is given, much is expected. Right? You've heard that before. To whom much is given, much is expected. So it is very rare that God will call you where your character will not sustain you. It is very rare that God calls us to places where our character will not sustain us. To whom much is given, much is expected. And that was very true of Joseph. Secondly, God is a God with a plan. And although we can't always see it at the time, after all he's been through, Joseph says this. I'll just read this for you from chapter 50. Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph had learned that the sign of maturity is understanding that although we may be products of our past, we don't have to be prisoners. Although we may be products of our past, we don't have to be prisoners. The question for you today is how much of life have you been missing? How much of life has you been missing because you never slowed down enough to ask God, what he was doing in some of the most painful and difficult situations of your life. Have you ever stepped back and slowed down from your life enough to to look at the whole picture and to see, wow, I might not have gone from Canaan to Egypt, but God's taken me from here to there, and that was really painful and difficult at the time, but oh God, I saw how you were with me, and you never let me go the entire time. Who knows what you are most desperately searching for today might actually be a result of the past that you've never reconciled with. And that's a lesson that we can learn from Joseph. And finally, God's promise to every single one of us is that he's a faithful father. And on this Father's Day, 
it would be a shame if we got, forgot the father in this story. You remember Jacob? The last time we saw Jacob, he was overcome with grief because of his son, who he thought was dead. It might be Jacob that wrestled with God, God's plan the hardest in this story. But as this story con- concludes, Jacob hears the voice of God calling him to Egypt to go and to be with his son. And I want you to think about this reunion. I want you to think about a father and a son that have been separated for 30 years. They haven't seen each other, or maybe longer. It reminds me somewhat of a, a scene from a, a recent movie called A Knight's Tale. And as you watch this scene, I want you to, to witness a tiny boy long ago that was separated from his father who's now grown up, and his name is William. William Thatcher has gone off, and he hasn't become a pharaoh in Egypt, but he has become a great knight. And in this scene, he is finally reunited with his old and somewhat failing father. And as you watch this scene, I want you to envision that final scene of Joseph and his father Jacob being reunited. Let's take a look. And so Joseph is finally reunited with his father. Genesis 46, when Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. I I cannot help to believe that after everything, throughout everything that Joseph went through in this story, that one of the reasons he was able to carry on was because deep down in the core of his being, he knew that he was loved by his father. That he had a father who delighted in him. And on this Father's Day, yes, we want to honor those of you that are fathers, but it's important to remember that that's something that all of us need to hear from our father. And I know that for many of you from your earthly fathers, you may have never heard those words, I love you, or I'm proud of you, or I delight in you. And it's left this void that you're desperate to fill. But hear these words today from the book of 1 John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is willing to wrap you in his arms just like he did for William, just like Jacob did for Joseph? And to fathers today, I charge you with this. Tell your children two things today and remind them of this often. That you love them and that you are proud of them. And remind them often. And for all of us, may we believe that those words are true for us as well. And may we remember that this story of Joseph 
is about how God can intervene into some of the most unlikely and difficult situations, into the mini-mart moments of our life, and bring redemption as a good and a faithful father who has a plan for you. If Joseph was here today, he would tell you, oh, it's far from easy. It's actually painful at times to be obedient to God and to follow him. But he would also tell you that God is just as present in the pit as he was in the jail cell, as he was on the throne of Egypt. Our Heavenly Father said to Joseph what he says to every single one of you today. I will not leave you orphans. I will come for you because I am your father.